Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming to your word, to the Bible. We pray that your Holy Spirit will make the words come alive to us, that you will mould us and to shape us to be more like Jesus. As we celebrate his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, that first Palm Sunday. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you a story found in the Bible of a king. When this king was about to take his place on the throne, he was led into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey to the cheering of the crowds. And why were they cheering? Because they were welcoming a son of David who would be king like David. And do you know the story I'm thinking of? It's a story found in the Old Testament some 900 years before Jesus was born. It's a story found in 1 Kings chapter 1, right at the beginning of this most unusual book. It starts off in a very strange way. King David is now old. He's lost his strength and his vigour and, and his focus. In fact, he seems more focused on keeping winter chills at bay than on his kingdom. And so because hot water bottles weren't inverted of those days, we have this unusual story of how his aides end up finding a beautiful young woman, a new wife, to keep him warm at night. And while he's distracted with all this, he's also distracted from his family. And he doesn't realise that there's a tension building with his oldest son, Adonijah. And Adonijah is oldest son, but... David had promised the throne to his son Solomon, who's about sixth in line when it comes to being king. But Adonijah, he's impatient, and he wants to be king. And so he plots and, and he schemes. He's ambitious. So he goes behind his father's back. He elicits support from some of the key leaders, and he sets up a coup. Now, these plans are well advanced when... Uh, the prophet Nathan, David's longtime friend, becomes aware of it. So he, with support of Bathsheba, that's Solomon's mum, with the support of Bathsheba, Nathan approaches the king and tells him of his oldest son's rebellion. So David is, is forced now to pay attention to his kingdom. He's forced now to act. So he confirms that Solomon will be king. David quickly summons his aides and tells them this. And this is in 1 Kings chapter 1 from verse 33. David says, take your Lord's servants with you and have Solomon, my son, mount my own mule and take him down to Gihon. There have Zadok, the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, long live King Solomon. Now, a few verses later from verse 39, we see this is actually happening. We see Solomon is led through the city on a donkey. Verse 39. Then they sounded the trumpet, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon! And all the people went up after him, playing pipes and rejoicing greatly, so that the ground shook with the sound. 1 Kings 1 from verse 39. And so, a son of David enters Jerusalem, riding a donkey to the acclamation of the crowds. And this Old Testament story will not be lost on most of us who are listening this morning. For though we may not have heard of Solomon's triumphant entry on a donkey as he's about to be crowned, we've probably heard of a true and a better son of David who entered the holy city, the holy city of Jerusalem, while riding on a lowly donkey. All to the cheering of crowds. And this is exactly what we're going to dig into this morning. The first 
Palm Sunday, Christ's triumphant entry, as recorded in Mark chapter 11. Now, as you turn to Mark chapter 11, which you'll find in your handout, in your newsletter, or in your Bibles, a brief recount of where we are up to in the Gospel of Mark. Last week, Ryan took us through the healing of blind Bartimaeus in the city of Jericho. And do you remember how Bartimaeus, who was on the side of the road, called out what he said to get Jesus' attention? And this is it. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Mark these words. Remember these words because they are going to be on the lips of the crowd when we get to Jerusalem. Jesus, son of David. Anyway, Jericho is situated near the Dead Sea, well below sea level. And its importance is because of the Jews in the north to get to Jerusalem in the south had to really go through the city of Jericho. And Jerusalem is up in the hill country of Palestine. And so there's this hill climb up to the city of Jerusalem from Jericho that Jesus takes. And because it's Passover celebration in Jerusalem, he would be accompanied by not only his 12 disciples, but a whole throng of people going to worship the living God. And let's pick up the story in Mark 11, just outside the city. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Now this acquiring of a donkey is, is more than just wanting to rest his weary feet on the last stage of a hill climb. No, this donkey acquisition is very much in line with a prophecy found in the Old Testament, a prophecy found in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Uh, let me read it, and, and as I do, see if you can hear the similarities of what's happening with Jesus and his triumphal entry. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah Nine, nine. Notice how the prophecy describes three things. First of all, the destination, it's Jerusalem. Second of all, the mode of transport, which is a donkey. And thirdly, sort of the activity there, the shouting and the rejoicing. And this is such a, a clear prediction of what's unfolding before us in Mark chapter 11. And before we move on and see how this prophecy is fulfilled, a word about messianic prophecies. Now, what are messianic prophecies and why should we care? Well, messianic prophecies are prediction about God's anointed who would come to set up God's kingdom on earth. Messianic predictions. There's over 300 of them in the Old Testament scattered from Genesis really all the way through to the end of the Old Testament, written by different authors over hundreds of years. And some of these predictions are very general, but many are very specific. And probably the most well-known messianic prophecy, the prediction, is from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which tells us that God's anointed, the Messiah, the Christ, will be born where? Will be born in Bethlehem. Now, we haven't time to look at many others of these, but there are 300 prophecies, and their value is significant because it's 
humanly impossible for any one person to fulfill all those 300 plus prophecies whether by accident or by intent they are just too specific as who can predict where they're going to be born <laughs> and you know that's a hand of god and when you, that by itself might not mean much but when you, even a handful of these messianic prophecies are impossible for any one person to fulfill unless it's the will of god and so these 300 plus prophecies that jesus fulfilled add significant weight proof to the claim that jesus is who he claimed to be the messiah god's anointed one so this brings us back to zechariah 9 9 and mark 11 what does it say about the messiah and how does this play out as jesus enters jerusalem well the prophecy remember 9 9 says that he'll ride a donkey into jerusalem accompanied by shouting and rejoicing crowds very specific and very straightforward to verify however however some skeptics may say but because it's easy to verify it's also easy to orchestrate to set up because jesus would have been familiar with the prophecy and uh, maybe jesus thought if i ride into Jerusalem on a donkey at Passover, where there are very excitable crowds, I can trick people into believing I'm the Messiah. You see, that's a fair enough objection, but let's see if it's feasible. So getting back to Mark chapter 11, we, we've just seen Jesus giving instructions to two disciples to travel ahead to one of the villages on the outskirts of Jerusalem, where there'll be a young donkey, a colt, tied up in an obvious way. So Mark 11 from the end of verse 2. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it and it will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. Now, the easiest way to replicate Zechariah 9.9, if you wanted to orchestrate it, would be to have a donkey sorted out, maybe at Jericho. A donkey that was broken in, so it wasn't going to toss Jesus off. One that Jesus could have saved himself, a big walk and ridden all the way up to the gates of Jerusalem, and then he could have just rode in. No fuss, no bother, prophecy fulfilled. But instead, somehow, Jesus knows that there's a donkey tied up ahead, Somehow he knows it's not broken in and therefore very hard for anyone to ride. And somehow he knows that if his disciples just grab it, that the owners will let them. Now, if there's no donkey, if the owners don't give permission, or if this unbroken donkey won't let Jesus ride it, then Zechariah 9.9 would never happen. Why would Jesus put so much risk into these unknowns, this, these doubtful, from our point of view anyway, doubtful coincidences? In fact, when, when we see and when we analyse it, you could never orchestrate what Jesus had done. Unless, of course, you're the Son of God, which he is. So despite all the uncertainties and the coincidences that are lined up at astronomical odds, Zechariah 9.9 is fulfilled. One prophecy. And when we add this one prophecy to the hundreds of others, we have compelling evidence that Jesus is who he's said to be, God's anointed, the Messiah, the Christ. 
Now, let's see how this plays out as they approach Jerusalem. We can imagine the crowds with Jesus in front and beyond. We can imagine as the cheering, and the, as we'll see in a moment, as the cheering and the singing becomes loud, that people stream out from the city of Jerusalem. But just back at the village, from verse 7, Mark 11, when they brought the colt to Jesus and, and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And Jesus entered Jerusalem. Now there's a few questions that come to mind, isn't there? Like what's with the spreading of the cloaks and the palm leaves? Well, this is a tradition that was reserved in biblical days for the welcoming of a king. It's a little bit out like our rolling out the red carpet. And we see this cloak spreading in 2 Kings chapter 9, where another king is crowned king. The man's name is Jehu. And Jehu is commander-in-chief of the Israelite army. And he's with his fellow officers, and a prophet arrives and takes Jehu aside. Then, in private, he anoints his head with oil and declares that Jehu will become king. And then the prophet makes a hasty retreat. Now his fellow officers ask him what the crazy man was all about. And in 2 Kings 9, verse 12, we see the answer. Jehu said, here's what the prophet told me. This is what the Lord says, I anoint you king over Israel. They hurriedly and took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. 2 Kings chapter 9 from verse 12. Now notice the similarities, the cloaks, the loud shouting, and the welcoming of a new king. So that's what the laying down of the cloaks and the palm branches was all about. It was a little bit like us rolling out the red carpet. And what were they shouting? What was the content of the words that they were singing and shouting? Refresh our memory in Mark 11 verse 8. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now in Matthew's account of the triumphant entry, he adds that the crowds were also shouting out, Hosanna to the son of David. In Luke's account, he includes this. The crowds were shouting out, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Isn't this amazing? We have this incredible declaration that a son of David, a king, is coming. And this is not from the high priest. It's not from the power brokers, the religious leaders. It's not from Jesus himself. It's from the crowds of Jerusalem. Remember the crowds of Jerusalem a few hundred years ago had declared Solomon, a son of David, as king. Now the crowds of Jerusalem are declaring Jesus, son of David, as king. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Yes, Jesus enters acclaimed by the crowds, but not by the power brokers. Indeed, in Matthew's account, the power brokers, the Pharisees, come to Jesus straight away and confront him because they know the implications of what the crowd are shouting. So they confront Jesus. Yet undeterred by these criticisms, Jesus makes his way to the temple. Now, why would Jesus go to the temple? Well, let's consider the main purpose 
of the temple. The temple was a place where people could be put right with God. That's the function of the temple. You would go, you would sacrifice an animal, you'd be right with God, and then you would celebrate and praise God. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And you see, this festival, the Passover festival, was very special in the life of Israel because it was only those who sheltered under the blood of the Lamb that were saved from death and destruction. And you see, Jesus knew. Jesus knew that before we can cry out, Hosanna to the King of Kings, we need to first declare, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For as Jesus stood there looking around the temple courts, he knew what nobody else knew. He knew that the way to the crown was by way of the cross. The way to the throne in the kingdom was by way of Calvary. And that Calvary, the cross and the agony, was just a few short days away from his entry into Jerusalem. After looking around the temple, we hear that he leaves the city because it's late in the day, and he goes to one of the villages where he has accommodation organised. And then Holy Week begins, and a few short days later, the cross in Calvary. But what can we take away from this morning? What can we learn? Well, earlier in the Gospel, when asked for a sign by the Pharisees, Jesus said, there is one greater than Solomon who is among you. And we've seen this today. Jesus, greater than Solomon. Years before, Solomon, a son of David, rode on a donkey into Jerusalem with great shouts of joy. And Solomon's entry on a donkey to Jerusalem with all the crowds cheering foreshadowed, pointed towards a true and a better son of David who would come humbly on a donkey to the cheering of crowds not to take up his throne, but to take up the cross. And you know that it will be similar when Jesus comes again. You know that when Jesus comes again, it will echo that triumphal entry. And they'll accept, accept, and this is a great mystery, is accept we'll be there. <laughs> when Jesus comes again and enters into that holy city, we'll be there. So let me tell you this great mystery. In 1 Thessalonians, we have the first account of Jesus' return recorded in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians is the first book written out of the New Testament books. It was written before the Gospels and the other epistles. So, and so here we have the earliest Christian understanding of what it meant for Jesus to return. And it was written mainly, and, and for many reasons, because Christians were starting to die and they were believing Jesus was coming back any minute. So how could they work out that some Christian brothers and sisters had died and Jesus hadn't come back? And that's a big purpose of why 1 Thessalonians was written. But anyway, listen to this. And it's echoes to that first Palm Sunday. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 from verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
So the Apostle Paul is, is drawing on a common custom of the day. When a king, even Caesar himself, would approach a city to visit. And so the king, let's imagine it's Caesar, he would have an entourage of people. And he would send messages ahead to the city. And then the city folk would come streaming out to welcome Caesar, the king. And then the entourage and the city folk would sing his praises and celebrate as they escorted him back into the city. And Paul is drawing upon this image and saying, look, when Jesus comes again, it will be like the visit of a king. He will come, he will have his entourage with him, which are all of the Christians that have died and, and are with him in heaven. They will be with him. And then us who are alive, we will go out and meet Jesus and the entourage. And then we will celebrate and bring him in to the holy city. Just like that first Palm Sunday when Jesus came with the pilgrims who were celebrating and singing Hosanna and people streamed out of the city of Jerusalem and then they all welcomed Jesus and sang Hosanna to the son of David. Glory to the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And that will happen again in some wonderful, mysterious way. When Jesus comes again, we will be there. We'll be there and our loved ones who have died in Christ We'll be there and we will return and we will welcome and celebrate as Jesus comes into the holy city, the eternal city, to set up the kingdom of God that will reign forever and ever. We will welcome the true and better son of David. We will welcome Jesus, the Messiah, name above all names, beautiful Messiah, living God. Yes, we will welcome the triumphant king and we will be with him forever and ever as he reigns in glory come lord jesus come we can't wait jesus till you come again and we meet and escort you into that holy city singing your praise hallelujah hosanna to the son of david let's pray our heavenly father we're excited when we think about jesus returning there's so much pain and suffering in the world there's so much discontent and rebellion so much sin and evil. Even in our own lives, Lord, we struggle at times. Yet, yet we know the joy of your spirit amongst us now. We are looking forward to Jesus coming again and putting all things right. Heavenly Father, may we have the taste of heaven in our lives as we follow you. Spirit, Holy Spirit, have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.